Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. Uh, in today's episode, it's going to be all NBA. I know there's some ru- rules, uh, new things with the NFL, there's possible rules there in the MLB, but I told you guys what to expect for today's episode, And then the Russell Westbrook news came, so we're going to be talking about the Russell Westbrook trade. I'm going to break it down for you guys, give a grade for each team. We're really going to go in and dissect that trade. Then we are going to talk about the new uh, challenge flags rule, uh, challenge flag rule in the NBA. Uh, If you haven't heard it, I'll explain it when we get to that segment. I know it came out a few days ago, but... I'm just touching up on it now. And then we are going to talk about what I would do with Taco Fall and what I would possibly do with that 15th roster spot with Gershon Yabaselli now cut from the team. So, for, well, with the Taco Fall thing, I'll just explain quick. Basically, what I would do with Taco Fall. Am I going to send him to the G League? Am I going to... Um, Am I going to put him on the roster? Is that 15th roster spot? What am I going to do for the future with Taco Fall? How am I going to work with Taco Fall? Uh, basically, the recipe for success for the perfect taco, I guess is what you could say. But first, we are going to start out uh, with the Russell Westbrook trade, so let's get to that. Okay, so yesterday, you didn't get a lot of news in the NBA. We finally got a peaceful day in this NBA offseason. And then Woj just comes in, drops an absolute bomb. Russell Westbrook is traded to the Houston Rockets. This was Woj's third most retweeted tweet. And Woj, that says a lot. This is big news. Okay, the trade was uh, the Rockets would receive point guard Russell Westbrook, while the Thunder would be receiving point guard Chris Paul, a 2024 first-round pick, a 2026 first-round pick, and rights to swap their 2021 first-round pick and a 2025 first-round pick. Uh, But the 2024 and 2026 picks, I do believe, are uh, one through four protected. So basically, if they land at number one, two, three, or four, it belongs to Houston. So those are protected a bit. Um, And I I did write a good article on this. So I'm going to read my article to you guys, basically. Because the reason you guys are like, you probably like it when I speak my mind more. And I honestly like when I get to speak my mind more. But the problem with that is, is I'm going to forget to talk about stuff. Sometimes when I talk about a topic and I just speak my mind, I forget to add something that I was meaning to talk about. And with this, I have it all ready. Uh, And after I'm done with this article, I'll elaborate more and speak my mind about the trade even more. I really want to talk about this. Um, So first, I'm going to start with the Houston Rockets. And here's what I wrote. We all knew coming into the offseason that the Houston Rockets needed to make some moves and retool the roster around James Harden, but I don't think this was the move they should have made. I'm all for moving CP3 as long as the price was right. Harden and Chris Paul clearly weren't a very good fit and and weren't getting along very well. But for Russell Westbrook, I mean, the biggest reason they weren't a good fit together was because they were too ball-dominant for each other. And now you decide to replace CP3 with Russell Westbrook, a player with an even higher usage rate. In fact, him and James Harden had the two highest usage rates in the league last year. Listen, I'm not going to doubt this backcourt pairing just yet, but I really don't think there's a good chance that these two succeed together. There's only one ball to go around, but that's not all. I've heard everyone talking about how Russ and James Harden wouldn't wouldn't, won't be a good fit, my bad. But no one talks about the picks they gave up as well. 
First, there's the 2024 and 2026 first-round picks. Russell Westbrook is 30 years old and James Harden is 29. The two are locked in on a long, on big long-term contracts, which means the teams also won't have a lot of cap space. Also, tack on Clint Capella's deal. When it comes to young talent, that actually catches your eye. Then there's only really 25-year-old big man Clint Capella. Yeah, I didn't say that right. Basically, what I meant to say was, for young talent that catches your eye on that Rockets team, it's only Clint Capella. Like, Daniel House doesn't really. It doesn't really do it for me. You know what I'm trying to say? Really, Clint Capella. And I wrote, but Clint Capella won't save this team's future. He's injury-prone and a good defender, rebounder, and pick-and-roll finisher. The moral of the story, he's a good young player, but he's injured Probably overpaid. I, I think $25 million, $26 million, I think that's what he's making over the next four years. He's a good player, but that's overpaid for Clint Capella. And at the end of the day, he's not that special. He's a good player. He's a good, great young player. I mean, I could see him maybe making an all-star appearance or two in his career, but he's not that special. Uh, he stands out as like a solid young piece, but again, I, Max, what, one or two all-star appearances for Clint Capella? That That's not that special. This team really won't have any young talent because they do, they'll have no cap space and they're currently really don't have that much on the roster. Really that much young talent, I meant to say. And you may see Russ and Harden as a bad fit, but I don't see this team missing the playoffs anytime soon. So unless and somehow they do, they're going to have to do some heavy, heavy scouting to land some young player who can do something to help their future. So, those 2024 and 2026 first-round picks could be valuable because by then, the Rockets may be rebuilding. Keep in mind those, and I wrote, keep in mind those picks are top four protected. Then there's the 2021 and 2025 pick swaps. I doubt the Thunder would use the pick swap in 2021, but there's a possibility the Thunder could get another lottery pick. I mean, the Rockets could get another lottery pick robbed in 2025 if if their team is where I think they'll be in 2025. So at the end of the day, I do think the Rockets had to make a move, but I'm okay with them trading, and I'm okay with them trading CP3. But why trade him in valuable picks for an even more ball dominant point guard? This wasn't the move I had in mind. I was thinking maybe a trade where they give up CP3 for a more off ball defender type point guard, and maybe a versatile three and D wing. I knew the Rockets would be desperate to make a move, and I think this proves my point. Grade D plus. I don't like the trade. I just don't. I think the picks have more value than people are really cracking it up to be, but I don't see it ending up in the top four. Again, who knows with this new lottery, but still, okay? I think these picks have more lottery than people are talking about. All I've heard people talk about is Russell Westbrook and Chris Paul. They talk about how Russell Westbrook's not a good fit with James Harden, and Chris Paul probably won't stay on OKC. They're keeping it bland. Let's dig deeper and talk about these picks. They have more value than people are cracking it up to be. So the Rockets are giving up a little more than you think. So when I just look at this trade, I do like the fast break type style they'll probably run. Uh, With Russell Westbrook and James Harden, that's a super explosive backcourt. I think you're going to be able to fast break all day. And in that sense, it's going to work. You can play a very uh, good fast break type uh, style. But to play fast break, you have to get steals and you have to rely on maybe like Clint Capella to grab our board on the defensive end and just push it up court quick, that type of stuff. This team does not look thrilling on defense, which means the other team's probably going to be able to get a lot of um, 
a lot of rebound, uh, a lot of points, which means you're you're not going to be able to fast break if the other team's scoring points. Now, don't get me wrong, James Harden's probably going to average like two steals a game. He's not a good defender. Clint Capella's a good defender, so it's not like they're horrible. But I don't see them as a stunning team. I think they need to add a versatile three and D wing. I do, I think they have kind of an empty hole small forward. Like I like Eric Gordon, but I'd kind of rather maybe see him coming off the bench. It gives you scoring that way. But a three and D wing would be great for them. Someone who can stop and help. You know, g- gather steals. They're gonna need a lot. Uh, excuse me. Gonna need a lot of steals and blocks. Like Russell Westbrook, though. You know, the fast break's great, but they, if they can run a fast break slash ISO type style, that would be great. But what happens in the half court game when they do play ISO ball with uh, Russell Westbrook? Because the fast break game with James Harden and Russell Westbrook will be fantastic, but you can't run fast break all game. The average amount of points these teams are scoring now are over 100, okay? So, you know, you're only going to be able to run fast break, you know, at most a third of the game. You know, so I don't know how that's going to work. You know, how will Russell, can Russell Westbrook take that back seat? Will James Harden's, you know, running iso ball and chucking up threes? Is that, is that, how is Russell Westbrook going to handle that? I just, Russell Westbrook's not that on, off the ball type player. You know what I'm trying to say? I think the fast break game again will be the highlight of this duo. But when it comes to the half court game, I just think there's only one ball to go around and it won't be enough. Now, when I look at Russell Westbrook over Russell Westbrook's rather than Chris Paul at this point in his career. And when I look at the talent in that backcourt, it's better. Overall, talent-wise, the Rockets are much more talented now. They gave up Chris Paul in picks for Russell Westbrook. So essentially they gave up picks. No, not players, just picks, and Chris Paul to upgrade. So they have more talent, but how's the fit? The talent's there, but how's the fit? I'm not going to doubt this, okay? I don't want to sit here, doubt it, because I can't doubt anything in sports. I'm a guy that leaves a door a crack open. I told you this time and time again, because sometimes we doubt things and say there's no chance. Like, for example, the Blues. In January, who in their right mind, you know, guessed that the Blues would be in the Stanley Cup? I wouldn't. I basically would have been like, yeah, I'm keeping the door, you know, not even a crack open, just pretty much closed. But unless they're mathematically out of it, I can't, I can't you know, that's just me. Um, but obviously I'm going to doubt it. This is the same thing. I'm going to doubt that this works, but I, I, I think they'll, I think they're going to have some highlight, good highlight moments. Not, not on the highlight reel essentially, but in, in a sense that like the fast break game is going to be great. They're going to have some, you know, highlights in this duo. But there are going to be some struggles. The half-court game. How is this iso ball going to work between James Harden and Russell Westbrook? The players with the two highest usage rates. We talked about Chris Paul and James Harden being a struggle together. There was only one ball to go around. I questioned it from the beginning. James Harden just too ball dominant for a guy, especially Chris Paul, needs the ball in his hands. Chris Paul's not a great shooter. He's not a great scorer. You know, he's an average, modest scorer, but he's a facilitator. How can you facilitate with the ball not in your hands? I did like the defense Chris Paul brought. I do think he's a bit of an overrated defender at this point in his career, but he's still a solid defender, and I think that helps because James Harden, all he does is rack up steals. Steals don't tell the whole story. 
know, this guy may average two steals a game, but he's not that good. Same thing with John Moran. He averages solid, not as much as I don't think, I don't, I'm not really sure what the number was, but he averages a solid amount of steals and blocks because he hunts for them. He's not a good defender. That doesn't tell the whole story. But Chris Paul brought that defense. Because James Harden brought the steals, but he didn't bring the defense, if you know what I'm trying to say. But overall, this trade, I'm not saying they gave up, you know, too much for Russell Westbrook. That's not the point. I think, you know, essentially you upgraded the point guard position by giving up two picks that are one through four protected and two pick swaps. One of them won't be effective in 2021. Doubt it. 99% chance it won't be effective. But when I look at this deal, I like the idea of retooling the roster. And again, I'm giving it a D plus for now. I'm not doubting that this this could end up being a solid trade, but I don't see it being a stunning trade just because I think those picks are going to have value. I don't think this is going to be a great fit. Even if they're a solid, at best, they're going to be a solid fit. We This won't be a stunning fit, okay? Russell Westbrook and James Harden aren't going to accept to take that much of a lesser role. It's just not going to be that easy. Uh, but if, if as long as they're a solid fit, I don't know. That's I think that's all you can ask is that they're at least a solid-ish fit. But you know, if Chris Paul can do it, how's Russell Westbrook gonna accept it? And I've heard the I've heard a few people tell me there's a possibility they work out because they played together before. Now I don't like that statement at all because that was back five years ago before they had their own team and turned into these freakishly ball dominant players. Don't get me wrong. They they weren't exactly like pass first players back then, but they weren't that ball dominant. We back when they went and lost to the Miami Heat. What was it in twenty thirteen? Were we sitting there in uh, twenty fourteen? Whatever it was, sometime around then. Were we sitting there and telling ourselves, "Oh, these guys, most ball dominant players in the league"? No. Were we saying they were pass first either? No. But they're much different players nowadays. James Harden and Russell Westbrook. You know, they're used to taking 20-plus shots a night. They got to lower that number down a bit. They got to share the ball. And it's it's not hard. It's not easy to take that type of role. To, to You know, we saw it with the Celtics this year. Kind of a bit of a different case scenario. But Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Terry Rozier, all the young guys stepped up. And they thrived in their roles, okay? They were in a size 9 shoe. And they were doing fine in it. They could fit the size nine shoe and they proved it. And then Kyrie came back and they were forced to go back to seven and a halves. And it was uncomfortable and they didn't like it. And it ended up being a problem. Same thing with James Harden and Russell Westbrook. They are in the size nine shoe and they fit in the size nine shoe. But now all of a sudden with each other, they got to go back to the size seven and a halves and it's uncomfortable. They don't like it. And as you know, if they suck it up, I, that's a bad analogy because, you know, who sucks up being in a you know tight shoe? It's weird. But you get my point here is that it's not easy to then, you know, take such a big role, do well in it, and then have to take a lesser role. Not because of your age or your skill. You're still worthy of that size nine shoe, but you just have to be in the seven and a half due to your surroundings. See, that I just think it's going to be a, a, it's going to be a power struggle. And it's just with one ball going around again. The fast break game will be solid, but the half court game, I'm just, I really do question that. D plus for now, maybe a C minus, C.
I, I can't go much lower than a D plus. I'd say I can I can accommodate with somewhere between a D plus and a C for now. But I don't see this being a great fit. The skills there, but the fit, no. No, it isn't. Especially in half court. And then we transfer over to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I wrote, after the Thunder traded PG-13 to the Clippers, in an absolute blockbuster that included Gallinari, Shy Gilgis Alexander, and multiple picks, it was clear that the team needed to get rid of longtime point guard and one-time MVP Russell Westbrook. When they made the PG-13 trade, I truly believed it was the best thing for their team. With the core of Russ and PG, the Thunder weren't going to win anything, and they would have no cap space flexibility, and they were just stuck. First round exits. They were going to go to the playoffs. You know, they didn't have any cap space flexibility to go out and sign that guy who would take them over the top. They were just consistently, they weren't going to be in the lottery either. They were just going to make the playoffs, be a first round exit, and maybe at best second round exit. Okay, they didn't have the flexibility to go out and sign guys, sign shooters. They're just going to be stuck. When your team's stuck, you gotta you got to try to get out of it. And they did, okay? But after trading PG-13 for great young pieces, the team can now free up cap space, rebuild, and have a great excuse to trade Russ. I thought if they were to trade for Russ, they should have gone for young players and draft picks or end one expiring contract to make the money work. Like, for example, for a trade with the Pistons, Reggie Jackson, and for a trade with the Heat, Goran Dragic. When I did my, uh, you know, trade predict, you know, like six possible trades for Russell Westbrook, they were in it. You have, you know, with Russell Westbrook, you can't just trade a few young players on rookie deals and it's going to make the deal work. Russell Westbrook has a massive deal. You get any, like, Reggie Jackson's on like a one year, 19 million. Same thing with Goran Dragic. I'd rather have Dragic, Drag, Drag, what, yeah, you get my point. Then Red, then Reggie Jackson, just because of these two reasons, just throwing this out there. One, I think Drogic is a better player when he's healthy. Definitely a better player than Reggie Jackson when he's healthy. And two, I think he fits better with their system because they have so many point guards that they they want to develop, like Shai Gilgis-Alexander and uh, Dennis Schroeder, that you know, Goran Drogic, someone who I think could be a shooter, which they desperately need, and I think he can play shooting guard at the same time. Um, and you know, Reggie Jackson's not really, doesn't really bring you shooting. He just adds another point guard to that core. And at, at the same time, he's not as good as Goran Dragic. And I think Dragic being injury prone isn't even a bad thing because, you know, he doesn't help your lottery odds either. And it's not like he's helping the development of those young guys because he still, you know, needs the ball in his hand sometimes, although he's not as big a deal. But anyway, I wrote, but and sorry, where did I leave off? My bad. All right. But instead, they got the CP3 and pick. They got CP3 and picks. Now here's the thing: this trade isn't as bad as people are saying because I feel like most people don't realize that these picks will probably have some real good value. Again, what do I know? But from what we t- can tell right now, those picks have more value than you think. People just aren't paying attention to that. But getting CP3 was just flat out stupid. I'll get to unless in a minute. Getting CP3 and keeping him is flat out stupid, but I'll get to the the flip side in a minute. I know a I know a lot of teams we thought were interested in Russell Westbrook trade talks either weren't at all or weren't willing to give up as much young talent as the Thunder wanted, like the Heat. So the Thunder must have saw a lot of value in those picks, or they're just scared of talking taking a full on rebuild. But again. 
taking CP3 doesn't make any sense unless the Thunder see a ton, and I mean a ton of pick, a ton of value in those picks. Your team should be rebuilding and letting SG, uh, Shyulus Alexander, and Schroeder develop and get their touches, not adding a ball-dominant, injury-prone point guard locked, on in a, locked in on a massive deal for the next three years, although Russ's deal is bigger, but... That will prevent you, your team from full-on rebuilding. CP3 won't push your team into the playoffs, but he won't help your lottery odds or point guard development either. But with that being said, this should be a solid fit for CP3 if they can add a little more shooting and scoring on the wing. And I do think this trade is a little better than people are cracking it up to be because I don't. I do think these those picks have more value than you think, and that the Thunder probably weren't getting. Many good offers from teams. For example, Miami was hesitant to give up their young talent, so the trade talks fell apart. Plus, there's actually a good chance, in my opinion, that CP3 gets a buyout. I added that at the end because I wrote this one, I think, 15 minutes or so after the CP3 trade. Because I wanted to be on top of it. I wanted to get this out. I'm putting this on, I think, the weekly assist. So I want to be on top of it. I want to be one of the first people to grade the trade. I like doing that. So I wrote it, and I didn't really think of a buyout till the very, very, very end. Because I was, like, looking it up, yeah, like, looking up, and then, you know, there's possibly a buyout or CP3 getting traded. So when I was talking about this is a bad move, why would you get Chris Paul? He'll be a good fit here. Yes, if he stays. But the odds are he's either getting bought out or you're trading him. He's, he's not staying in OKC. And if he does, it's probably till December 15th, so they can tack on more players. Because I do believe the rule is... Before December 15th, you can only trade a player that you recently traded for by himself or something like that. That's what I heard on the Trade NBA uh, machine. But then again, in Trade NBA, plugged in a possible Kevin Love trade, and it was Kevin Love for Hassan Whiteside and a pick. And the Cavs would get three more wins, and the Trailblazers would get three more losses. With that being said, I still find it's a pretty good website. Like the ESPN Trade Machine, I guess maybe. I've been more reliable for the win projections, but I feel like I know enough about the NBA to just kind of figure it out myself. So that's why I kind of like trade NBA more. But anyway, with that being said, I just, when I look at this trade for the Thunder, it the Chris Paul thing, again, I, I just think, I, I just sit here and, if they can move Chris Paul, this is an amazing trade. It all it all depends on what can they get for him, which I think it may come up in a future episode, possible Chris Paul trades. Um, but I love the position the Oklahoma City Thunder are in now. The thing I don't like is, as much as I love draft picks, the value of draft picks are just going down. In today's NBA, it's really just about market, big-time names, so you have to rely on now finding a big-time name to not only draft in the draft, but get him to stay and get other stars around him. Because it's all about, really, star power. Depth does still matter, but, like, star power. So if you get one star and get him to stay, like, that's not enough. You need, like, two stars. And OKC is not really a place with a great market. So it's going to be tough. I mean, they have a lot of draft picks. They have, and up until 2026, they have... Eight draft picks along with all of their own draft picks. All their draft picks plus eight over the next six years. So they're set up for with a lot, a lot of draft picks. But the thing about that is draft picks, I mean, we're kind of at a, you know, a point where the draft picks 
they don't look as valuable, I guess. As they, I, I like draft picks, but at the same time, as much as I think the draft is still producing good players, it's just the fact that it's hard nowadays for a small market team to go out there. Not only finding a player that can have all that all-star potential is hard enough, but then getting that player, keeping that player, and building around that player. It's very hard to do. So I just it's going to be tough. For the Thunder. And when I look at the Thunder roster, they don't have any young player that really stands out as a player. Like, oh, I want to build a championship contender around him. Steven Adams is a nice young player. Shai Gildas Alexander, even Dennis Schroeder. But when I look at those guys, Steven Adams looks like he could be like a nice, reliable big man, like a little over average big man for the future, like a nice, solid player. Shai Gildas Alexander looks like he could be like a solid point guard for the future that's, you know, a good playmaker, defender, all that. But what? maybe one all-star appearance, maybe two. Like, he's not going to be some player that you build a championship contender around. Dennis Schroeder looks like more of just a six-man-of-the-year candidate. And, you know, if he starts, he's, you know, he's no no one, definitely not someone you build a championship contender. Not, no one on this roster is, so they got to hit on these draft picks because you're not getting anyone in free agency either. I mean, the Thunder may have the cap space to get a guy in free agency, but they don't have the market. And that's honestly what it comes down to nowadays. Uh, Danilo Gallinari is another one, but he's not someone you build a contender around either, and he's not really getting that young. I think he's like 26, 27. So I just look at the Thunder. They got hit on these draft picks, and it's just it sucks for Thunder fans because they had you had James Harden, KD, Russell Westbrook, Paul George, all near the primes of their careers, and K like. James Harden was probably the one exception on that list. Like, Paul George, that was prime of his career. Russell Westbrook, obviously, because he spent his whole career there. KD won his MVP in OKC. Obviously, James Harden was better in uh, in uh, Houston, but he was still good with the Thunder. He was still a solid player, so you missed out on some opportunities to really do something big. Uh, but now you got to rebuild all over again. And it stinks because they did great things in those 10 years, but you never won the grand prize of a NBA championship. And at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. The Thunder didn't get it done. Now you got to rebuild again. It's going to be tough. I don't think they're going to be able to do what they did last time. They have more picks than they did back in 2007 when Sam Presti took over and drafted Russell Westbrook, James Harden, Kevin Durant. And yes, Sam Presti is hit on draft picks. We've seen it. Now, Steven Adams as well. Serge Ibaka in the 20s. He's the 21st pick. So Sam Presti is hit on draft picks, but most of those picks were pretty obvious, I guess I could say. They were high in the you know draft. They were, you know, like Steven Adams wasn't too obvious. None of those guys were first overall picks. Serge Ibaka was a steal, but I just don't see him repeating that. And he may have a lot of draft picks, but how much of them have high value? I, I, you know, actually, you know, that one I could debate. The Houston ones, I just said, probably have some value. Your OKC ones will. So, you know, I could de- that, that one's actually, you know, forget what I just said. But it's going to be tough for him to do that all over again and get James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Russell Westbrook. I don't see that happening. I could definitely see him getting a star-type player in the draft. I sure hope he does with all those picks and the value that they're probably going to bring, but there's no guarantees, and there's no guarantees they'll stay after their rookie contract expires or they'll negotiate a contract extension because the OKC market's just not good. That's the thing about today's NBA is the market. 
if you don't, if you're a small market team, it's really tough to, um, you, it's really, really hard to sign a star free agent unless you're really a super team. And to get a super team, you basically have to do that through trades in the draft. So it's just, it's tough. It is tough being a small market team. And OKC certainly is no appealing city, uh, you know, compared to Los Angeles, New York, Boston. So it's going to be tough for OKC to repeat what they did back 2007, 2008, 2009, and then from there on out. But they're going to have to try to with these draft picks. But if I'm the Oklahoma City Thunder, I'm trading Chris Paul uh, for a young player, preferably maybe attack on a pick, but then I try to ship a few of those picks away. Whether it's this offseason, at the trade deadline, next offseason, I try to ship a few of these player, uh, picks away, package them together to get a solid young player because this is just too many picks, I think. You, you know, if you trade Chris Paul, you're probably getting another pick out of that as well. So you're adding one more pick now to the equation, at least probably. I want to ship a few of those picks away to get a young player where I know what I'm getting just to kind of take that team to the next step. Because right now they don't have a ton of, you know, young players on the roster. So I'd like to get like a solid young player on that roster with some of those picks. That's just what I'm uh, trying to do. So now, uh, yeah, that's the Russell Westbrook trade. Almost 30 minutes there. Uh, but it was a, it's a fun trade to talk about. So now we are going to get to the um, Coach's Challenge uh, new rule. So uh, let's get to that. Okay, so today is Friday. This rule was reported on Tuesday. So I am a bit late on it. I apologize. But I still think, you know, not a lot of people have talked about it. So it's not really a big deal. As I said, you know, in on this podcast, it's tough for me to, you know, to get to all the news. Sometimes I'm a day or two late just because as much as I like to sit here all day and talk sports, I kind of want to split it up. You know, because if I talk about everything possible one day, what am I left with tomorrow? So I kind of save material. Like, the robotic umpires and the possible 18-game season. Uh, we're going to talk about that next episode. Uh, just kind of spread things out. Uh, so this was reported on Tuesday that the NBA Board of Governors have approved the implementation of an in-game challenge flags for the head coach next season. Basically, like in the NFL where they can throw out the challenge flags, may cost them a timeout. I think that's part of the rules here. Uh, so this is Sports Illustrated. I'm reading, reading it off of right here. Uh, so if I'm incorrect about something, just tell them. Because I kind of understand the rule, but I didn't read too much into it. So this is basically what I'm getting from them. Because I'm no Adrian Wojnarowski. I'm not getting all the insight from them. I'm just reading things off the web. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, like the... What was the thing? Yeah, like the Russell Westbrook trade, you know, grade the trade thing was mine. But like this. You know, I'm just reading off the web. So... And then I'll kind of understand it. What are my thoughts on it? So it says, The league passed the measure after informing teams last month that coaches may be able to challenge a personal foul charged to their team, a called out-of-bounds violation, a goaltending violation, or a basket interference violation. NBA Basketball of Operations President Brian Spruill previously told teams in Memo that the rule would be in effect during the 2019-2020 season as a one-year pilot program. So basically, this upcoming season, the league is going to it's going to be implemented, but it's only there for one year, and then we'll go from there. It's kind of like a one-year thing we'll go for there. We're not locking this uh, rule in long-term. Let's try it out for a year. If it doesn't work, it's gone. If it works, we'll, uh, we'll implement this long-term. Unlike the NFL, the NBA challenges will not include physical flags. 
Coaches must intent- instead call timeout and immediately signal for a challenge by twirling his or her index finger toward the referees, last month's memo said, per the Associated Press. So basically, from what I'm getting out of this, they have to you have to call a timeout and then, you know, you know, wave the magical finger at the refs. And it's the little magic wand. You tell the refs, I guess it's one a game. Um, in addition to coaches being able to call challenge flags, ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski reported, of course, who else, that the Board of Governors also approved giving the NBA Replay Center the ability to trigger instant replays for certain circumstances. Those reportedly include determining whether a field goal was worth two or three points and if a player got a shot off before the shot clock expired. The NBA currently has a call challenge system in place in the G League. The program will also be used during the Summer League games this season. So the instant replay could get on this. I know that gets on the nerves of fans. Personally, for me, I don't have a big problem with the instant replay. It's bad sometimes, but it's it gives the refs the ability to check a close call. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't go your way and you get mad about it, but let's be honest, the ref jobs to get the call right. If they get it wrong in your favor and they go check it and then it's correct, what can you do about it? Just how that's how cool. I don't have a big problem with the replay. Like the All Star Game, the MLB All Star Game having a replay is a bit ridiculous, but I don't care. It's just something I don't care about. If I have to sit there for a few minutes, it's usually only a few minutes. People just act like it's this big fifteen minute procedure, and that only happens every once. It does happen sometimes. I'll give you that. It's not a rare thing, but it doesn't happen a lot. You people crack it up to be this 10, 15 minute procedure. It's really only a few minutes at most. Usually, sometimes it takes a bit longer, but you know, they do stretch it out a bit more than it should be, but still. Let's not make a huge deal about this. But I like it. I like it. Um, I, you know, people have told me, um, well, Aiden, it, you know, it takes away, you know, it, let's say a team, uh, I don't know, let's say a team, you know, it, you know, hits a big shot, the, you know, the crowd's getting into it, they've got momentum, Let's say that team calls that timeout, challenges the play. All of a sudden, it can kind of take the atmosphere out of the game. But that's that's already what timeouts do. So when people told me that, I was like, no, 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 no. It, they're calling a timeout and then just challenging a play. So they're already going into a timeout. Timeouts take the atmosphere out of the game, usually, somewhat. You know, if a team goes on a run, that's what timeouts are for. If a team goes on a run, try to take the momentum away from them. That's already what timeouts are for. You have to call a timeout to be able to challenge the play. So that that that's not a problem, okay? I like it from what I've heard because also it adds a little more strategy to the game, which I love. I love the fact that there's going to be a bit more strategy in the NBA because nowadays it's just you know, Brad Stevens is a guy, you know, he likes his uh, OTAs after timeout. Uh, no, what is it called? After timeouts. Oh, ATOs or something like that. He draws up those plays after timeouts. And he's a really strategic coach. You know, let's run this play. You know, not all the time is the best player taking the shot. It's, you know, the player on the circumstance. And obviously, in today's league, it's just give the star player the ball. And he'll do what he wants. It's kind of thing. But it adds some strategy. I like that. I like the strategy, okay? I don't want the league to be a chess match by any means, but I like that there's a bit of strategy now being added to the NBA once again because nowadays it's just give the ball to the star player and let him do his thing. There's no strategy in the NBA anymore, so now there is. 
a bit. It does not have a huge chess match with this, but it's a bit of strategy. Where are we going to challenge this play? It's not a huge strategic thing, but it adds a bit more strategy. It adds a bit more emphasis on coaching rather than ego management. So it adds a bit more coaching to the actual coaching. It adds a bit more strategy to it, too. I want the coaches, the GMs, the role players to have a bit more power and take a bit from the star players. And I don't think this is doing it, but it's giving at least it's not really taking away uh, anything from the star players. It's more just giving a bit to the coaches, which I like. I think the star power players honestly just have a little too much power in today's league. I know that the guy's doing work. I will, I'm ready to make an article soon about the star power in the NBA, so I don't want to spoil too much. You know, they are the guys doing the work, but, you know, I think they they have a little too much power. But when I look at this rule, I really, I do like it because, again, it adds a bit of strategy. You know, are we going to challenge this player? Are we going to save for later? You know, are we going to call a timeout, too, on it? It doesn't add a ton of strategy, but it adds a bit. And it also, you know, helps get a call right. You can't just tell the guy, you know, go to the replay booth. I think the challenge flag in the NFL has been all right. I don't think it's been a failure. I don't think it's been the best rule ever implemented. It's had a few problems, but it has overall been solid. And I think it is a bit weird for the NBA. You know, I think the NFL is more built for a challenge flag, but I still am down to try it out for one year. Now, if you ask me, Aiden, how's it doing in the G League? I'll be honest, I have no clue. I've watched some summer league hoops, but I haven't seen it used yet. So maybe this isn't a thing that gets used a lot either. I feel like there's missed calls made on a nightly basis, but I feel like the if they see a missed call at the beginning of a game, if the if the NBA if an NBA coach sees like a you know a little call that was probably missed, like uh, at, you know maybe when I look at this, all right, they can call on a out of bounds violation, a goaltending violation, or a basket interference violation, or a personal foul charge. If there's a little bit of a questionable personal foul charge in the middle of the first quarter, I don't think they're going to call it. Maybe just to save it or whatnot, really just down the stretch. So I don't see this being used every single night. I'm not really sure how often it'll be used. I think I it should be something that's used almost every night, but I, for some reason, feel like this is something that won't be used a lot. I, I don't know why. I feel like it's just going to be something that's not even used a lot and people just kind of forget about. And then, oh, someone just, no, oh yeah, this is a rule again. It should be something that's used on a nightly basis because we all complain about how much the refs miss, the, you know, this call and that call. But, you know, then again, here we are. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with this rule. So uh, that that's my little take on it. So, uh, yeah, now uh, let's actually, you know what, call in with your thoughts. You want again anything? Anchor Mobile app. I, I can't stress it enough. I just really would like a caller. Also, you know, I'm just gonna say right at the end of the episode to tell your friends about this. I enjoy doing the podcast and all. I don't even make a dime off of it, so I just really appreciate it if you guys told a few of your sports friends because I want to keep growing. We have grown since day one, obviously. We've grown, but you know, it would be nice of you guys to help out. Um, go follow my Instagram at After the Buzz Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. But anyway, now I'm going to get to what I uh, I'm going to get to these two things, basically in one. Gershon Yabaselli off the team. What do you do with that 15th roster spot? And then I'm going to get to what I would do with Taco Fall. Uh, that's coming up uh, right now. So basically, with the Taco Fall thing, 
it's basically just going to be me. What do I do in his first year, second year? You know, is he going to the G League, Summer League? What do you work on with him? That type of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's coming to you on right about now. Okay, so Gershon Yavaselli, no longer a Celtic. Um, I, I, you know, I, I wasn't surprised that this move happened. It happened a bit sooner than I thought, but I wasn't, I knew it was coming. He's 23 years old. You picked him with the 16th pick in the 2016 draft. Uh, and I just, it, it, it didn't shock me. Over his career, he played 74 games in his two-year career. Averaged 6.6 minutes, 2.3 points, shot 44% from the field, 1.4 rebounds, 0.4 assists. For the 16th pick in the draft, that is not good. Okay, he had a disappointing career. I know people liked him, like, dabbing and whatnot. It was a nice little, you know, character for the fans, but no. He was disappointing in his two years here. Uh, he was way, he was atrocious in the summer league too, and I think that was the cherry on top, and Janie and said, nope, you're off the roster, let's free up a roster spot. And I remember that morning, Wednesday morning, uh, when I was writing the Taco Fall article that I'm going to read to you in, uh, soon, it said, could, it's something like, uh, you know, if Ger, you know, could Ger, Taco Fall replace Gershon Yabaselli or something like that. And then ironically, later that day, he was cut. So, it, you know, I think they kind of saw that coming. I did too, but... That was a bit sooner. I, you know, he's a nice little, uh, you know, I liked him as a person, but not, you know, he's disappointing as a player. It frees up that 15th roster spot. So what do you do with it? One player to look at is Sean Livingston. Okay. Sean Livingston would, you know, you know him. He played for um, the Warriors. He was, you know, he's off the team now, but he'd be good fit with the Boston Celtics. I think he's 6'7". He's 6'7". I have it here. 6'7". He's 33 years old, so he's a big, bigger point guard, which means he has good vision over the court. Um, and he bring that lack of size that they have in the backcourt. Kem Walker, Carson Edwards, Tremont Waters, all undersized point guards. All undersized point guards. So now you, you have a little height, and I think Sean Livingston would be a good backup point guard. Now... If you're relying on Carson Edwards for the pack backup point guard duties, that's a bit risky for me because I, if he it does end up being on the roster because he's still in his first year, you know I, I kind of wanted to let him develop a bit because I think you got something there with Carson Edwards. I think he's a good young player. I think you have something there with Carson Edwards. I don't want to ruin that. I did think you know, going into the draft. I was just like, all right, he had a good NCAA tournament run. He could be something in the NBA, but, you know, he's like 5'10". I think he's six foot, but he looks like he's 5'10", 5'11". He can really only score. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. But so far in the summer league, he's kept things up. So I'm like, you know, maybe you do really legitimately have something here, even if it's just a good scorer. You do have something here. Good scorer and shooter. And I think not only would he be that, again, the good um, floor general that, you know, would really um, give you some height there. He'd also be a great role model, especially for the young guys, which I think is something you need. You need a veteran leader here. That's why I drool over a guy like Sean Livingston. I want someone in the backcourt desperately for that 50, uh, front court desperately with that 15th spot. But Sean Livingston is one of the best free agents out there, despite his injuries and his age. He's still one of the better free agents out there, which isn't saying a lot, but I just think that also that leadership role he could play would be so crucial. Oh, that would be awesome. That would be so crucial. Especially he'd fill up 
a backcourt spot. And then the second option I I look at, I mean, there aren't a lot of guys out there. Maybe uh, Czech Diallo, uh, you know, Jamal Crawford, you know, could be. I looked at Tyson Chandler's option, but he was signed. Trey Lyles was a good option, underrated player, but he's gone now. But I guess the the second guy I look at maybe would be Marquise Chris. There's just no one out there really, because most of these guys are signed. But I would have liked Trey Lyles. But Marquise Chris is a guy who did bust. He was picked with the eighth pick in the draft back in 2016. Drafted by the Kings, went to Phoenix, spent some time in Houston. Then he went to Cleveland last season. With the Cavs, he averaged 14.6 minutes per game. In his last 27 games, 14.6 minutes, 5.7 points, 38% from the field, 4.2 rebounds, 0.6 assists. I always still like Marquise Chris. Like, as a person, no. He's the one that fought Serge Ibaka. He has been a bust, but he's a good athlete with still a little bit of potential. I, I, I like his potential, even though he's pretty much busted by this point. But he could be, like, a nice rotational piece, like 10th piece, ninth piece of the rotation type of guy. And I think you just need someone in that front court. And I think Marquise Chris is a guy who could at least come in and give you maybe, you know, eight to nine minutes a night and just come in and be a good defender and rim-running type player. He's not efficient. You know, you don't have to give him the ball much in offense. But he's a guy who could grab you a few rebounds. Like, four, what did he have? He had 4.2 rebounds in 14.6 minutes. That's solid. And I think you need a rebounder. You don't have a lot of that. You need a defender in the front court desperately. So I think I that's why I like Marquise Chris. And then the third option would be Taco Fall. He's done great in the summer league so far, but let me tell you what I would do with Taco Fall. All right. Now I'll elaborate at the end on some of this, but... Here's what I wrote. Okay, so we all know Taco Fall by now. Who doesn't? His towering height has caught the attention of many, many people. So today I'm here to give you my thoughts on what the Celtics could do with Taco Fall to turn him into an NBA pro. Here we go. So here's his bio and uh, collegiate stats, profile, whatever. He's, you know, his name's Taco Fall. He played center. He's a center. Seven foot seven, two hundred eighty-nine pounds, eight foot two. In one-fourth of a wingspan. That's a huge wingspan. He's 23 years old. He was undrafted, but he was signed to the Boston Celtics, and he went to UCF, University of California, I do believe. That's what it is, right? Central Florida. My bad, not California. Central Florida. I was going to say, no, 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 that's not California. And I was like, yeah, University of Central Florida. All right, so his 2018-2019 stats at UCF weren't even his best. I remember most of his best stats were in 2016-2017, but this was probably like his second best year. So I'll tell you if any of these are his career highs. Not many of them are. He played 33 games, averaged 24.8 minutes, 11.1 points per game, 0.5 assists per game, 7.6 rebounds per game, 2.6 blocks per game, Uh, 0.2 steals per game, 1.8 turnovers per game, and 36% from the free throw line. His only uh, career high, 2.6 blocks per game tied his career high. That was it. Most of his career highs came in 2016, 2017. 
And I wrote, okay, so it's pretty clear here that Taco Fall currently has a ton of flaws in this game. It was really only picked up by the Celtics because his height gives him some potential. When I look at Fall, he could really improve all around, honestly. I'm not going to do Summer League stats just because they've only played two games at the time. I think they played like three or four by now. Uh, but he's played well and Brad Stevens has even liked this game. But here's the process I would take with Fall. First year, he's going to the G League for me. He's not taking up that 15th roster spot. I'll explain in a minute, too. I wrote, Now Taco Fall has played well in the Summer League, and he may already be 23 years old, but Fall needs at least, at least one year in the G League. Despite his height, Fall has just has too many holes and really needs to work on his game in the G League for a year. At first, I, would play, I wouldn't play him a whole lot early in the season, and I'd spend a lot of time with him in the gym just to make sure he doesn't get hurt so he can at least get stronger a little more and a little more athletic so he's a little less injury prone then the minutes start to go up can start going up you're going to have to work and invest a lot of time in taco fall for this experiment to work once he gets more athletic work on his speed and stamina like conditioning help out his mobility work on his free throw shot etc work on these basic things that fall needs some help with Fall could be a solid pro by just basically camping under the hoop for his career. But if you could get most of these things down by the end of the year, we can start talking about expanding his game outside of the paint. And things like ball handling and playmaking as well. But for now, that just can't be a priority. Now, I doubt he'll ever be a playmaker, ball handler, shooter. Doubt it. Absolutely doubt it. I'd be happy. I'd be very happy if this guy was just a solid guy, you know, just a guy who could come in, you know, Boban Marjanovic. If he turns into Boban Marjanovic, I am happy with Taco Fall. He's just tall. He's not that good. I He showed us in the G League, uh, Summer League, he can be pretty solid. Um, But... I'm not throwing him on that 15th roster spot. If he's your 15th guy, yeah, he can develop with Brad Stevens and the bigs, but what is he going to do? What is Taco Fall going to do in this first year in the NBA? He's showing us he can do stuff in the summer league, but in the NBA, what is he going to do? Is he going to play, like, four games on the season and come in for, like, either garbage time minutes or when you need the float, you know, like a last second play, like it's the end of the third quarter and you're only have 1.1 seconds left and you're inbounding the ball and you just throw it up to Taco Fall and hope he tips it in. Like that's what we're bringing him in for, garbage minutes and that type of play. Then no, no, I don't, no. I'll let him be in the G League and let him actually play real minutes, valuable minutes in the G League, rather than just playing scrap minutes and getting like one or two plays drawn up for him at the end of a quarter. Please, no, no. That's just why I did, that's all it's going to be. He's not going to give you anything else. So you need to work on his conditioning, his strength, because he may be 7'7". Seven seven. He only averaged like seven-something rebounds in college. In college. So in the NBA, that number's not going to be very high. Because he's not athletic. He's not very strong. He's skinny. So you need to, you know, gain a little muscle on that kid. You know, condition him. I mean, he moves pretty well for a 7'7 seven seven guy, but it could still get better. He moves pretty well for a guy who's 7'7. Seven seven. He does. He actually moves better than you think. But the movement could still improve. Then I'd say he goes back to the Summer League next year. I think most people agree, even if he makes the roster. He should go back to the Summer League next season. He will be 24 years old by this time, and he's still only a second-year player that just played in the G League. Let him play in the Summer League. That should be a no-brainer. Then, by the time that second year rolls around, by the time after this season in Summer League next year, ponder over your options. 
we're at the point now where he just depends where Taco Fall is at and how the Celtics feel about him. Did he play well in the Summer League and G League and patch up holes in his game quicker than you thought, or is he still too raw to throw in on your 15-man roster? I really wouldn't be surprised if he needs another year in the G League. Not one bit. Just because he's such a raw player. And yes, I know Robert Williams is a pretty raw player too, but at least he was a first-round pick. And let's be honest with ourselves. He's not as raw as Taco Fall. He's a pretty raw prospect, and I know he made the roster, but he's not as raw as, raw as Taco Fall. That's the process I take with Taco Fall. I don't want to make him the roster. I know everyone's like, oh, yeah, that would be great. I mean, Danny, you know, the owner's probably sitting there, and Danny Ainge, like, we could bring Taco Fall in, and that might bring a few fans in the seats, but then fans are going to realize that Taco Fall's not even playing uh, you know, Taco Fall, he's not going to do anything. He might develop in practice, but let him play in the G League where it's going to actually get valuable minutes. Don't throw him on the 15-man roster because people are going to be like, yeah, let's throw him on the 15-man roster. That would be great. And then people are going to start complaining when he's not playing. Or people are going to start complaining, why didn't Taco Fall work out because you threw him on the 15-man roster? And those people who say, yeah, you might develop better in the NBA than the G League, uh, I disagree for the fact that in this case scenario, Taco Fall would actually get valuable minutes in the G League, and on the Celtics, he's just going to get garbage minutes. That's it. And maybe one or two plays drawn up for a second at the end of a quarter if they need to throw it up to him. So, you know, he's not going to develop as well in the NBA that first year. It's going to take one to two years with Taco Fall. At least. I'm not shocked if he's if he does not play till the 2021-2022 season. Could be his first NBA game. I wouldn't be surprised. I hope he can come in and play, not this season, but next season. Maybe you sign him to a two-way deal, and by the end of this season, he can come in and kind of help you finish off the season if you really desperately need a big. And he develops quickly, but I just not, I, I don't know. I think people are just kind of overrating this a bit because he's played well a few games in the Summer League. Summer League is nothing close to the NBA, and he might play well here. And believe me, like him and Carson Edwards have, you know, really, you know, made me feel good about those picks. Picks, pickups, too. But I still, I just, Taco Fall is not ready to play in the NBA. So don't overrate him and say, oh, he's played well in the Summer League. Let's throw him in now. So yeah, that's going to wrap up today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. Again, go share my podcast. I want to just keep growing. Uh, go follow my Instagram, at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. I keep you guys updated on podcasts because I know my schedule's a bit inconsistent. I'm sorry, I just can't keep a consistent schedule. Uh, also, me and Thomas are doing a uh, top 25 NBA players list. We release one every day, so to stay tuned with that. You don't have to go follow uh, my Instagram and uh yeah, I, I guess that's all I have to say. Also, go call in on the Anchor mobile app or on Safari by typing in after the bus sports talk by Aiden Mayer on Anchor, uh, and it should pop up. You can send in a voice message uh, talking about anything you want, asking me a question. That's perfectly fine. So, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and I hope to see you next time.